0: What is it that makes a congregation special? What is it that makes a family special? Is it not the people who are in that family? Is it not those people who comprise that congregation of God's people? About three months ago, we began a study of the book of 1 Thessalonians with the idea in mind that this was a congregation everyone would love. It certainly was a congregation that the Apostle Paul held in high esteem. He loved these brethren. He appreciated these brethren. He expressed his heart's appreciation in this letter. I've said at the beginning of this series that there are so many characteristics that are a part of the congregation at Bobby Branch, that are a part of the congregation at Thessalonica. And as we conclude our study of 1 Thessalonians, as we study chapter 5, verses 11 and following, I've entitled this, An Encouraging Church. Let me begin by way of introduction by talking about how you and I ought to be seeking to bring out the best in everyone. That is, I ought to be able to do something that makes you a better person, that makes you a more faithful child of God trying to walk daily with God. Even when it comes to times of rebuke, even when we have to say something is not as good as it ought to be, it ought to be our goal to build one another up and not to tear one another down. Even in our own families. When we have to correct something, we don't do it because of hatred or of ill will, but we do it because we want to make them better people. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, there were so many problems, and yet he wanted them to understand his rebuke was not because... He wanted to destroy them. In chapter 2, he says in verses 1 and 2, But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who was made sorrowful by me? Paul said, When I come the next time, I want things to be different. I don't want a situation where it's all about sorrow because if I don't build you up, who's going to build me up? If I don't provide you the encouraging word, who's going to encourage me? Thankfully, according to 2 Corinthians 7, their sorrow resulted in a godly sorrow that brought about repentance that made it a much more delightful situation, but... When you get to chapter 12, or excuse me, chapter 10, in verse 8, Paul says, For even if I should boast somewhat about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not your destruction. The word edification means to build up. God gave me authority for building you up, not for tearing you down. Even when times are tough, We ought to be bringing out the best in one another. We need a building full of people like the great man, the great preacher Barnabas. You know in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, the Bible says his name was Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. And his life reflected that. Whether he was encouraging the new convert, the Apostle Paul, or whether he was encouraging this young man by the name of John Mark. Such an encouraging person. Romans 14, verse 19, Paul would write, Therefore let us pursue things which make for peace, and things by which we may edify one another. Let's work toward trying to make things as God would have them to be. I want to focus your attention for just a moment as we introduce this lesson to verse 11. It's going to be the springboard for our lesson this morning. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. The key words there are comfort and edifying. The word comfort is found in a number of different passages and it's the idea of someone you can call to your side to help you. You remember in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, if I go away, I'm going to send you another, even thee, and the New King James uses the word helper. The original King James uses the word comforter. That's that word right there. Someone you can call to your side who will help you and provide you the kind of encouragement to get through the difficult times. It's also found in 1 John chapter 2. He says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The word advocate is the same word for comfort. Someone you call to your side And then the word edify, build up. He said that's what you are doing as a congregation. You are encouraging, helping, building up one another to make yourself a better people. Well, we begin with verse 12, and here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that those who need building up are the pastors. And I'm going to talk about that term just a moment. Then we're going to see how he says that it spreads not only to the leadership, but it spreads to the people as well. And then this is accomplished by our carefully following the prophecy and the precepts that are revealed in God's Word. Let's begin now as we look at verses 12 and 13. Look in your Bibles as we read together. And we urge you, brethren... To recognize, some translations, to know those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love's sake or love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now, as we read this passage, you heard me indicate that they are pastors. The word pastor simply means to shepherd. There's another word that is used to describe these same men, and that is bishop or overseers. Or there's actually a third term that is used to describe these same group of people, and that is elders. We can see that very plainly in several passages. Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17, going through verse 28. You can see it in 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 1 and following. Particularly here, we know he is speaking of those particular men because he says they are, listen carefully, over you in the Lord. When I go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 7, or 13, verse 7, he says, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. You drop down to verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. In the Bible, the only ones that we see in that position are those who are serving as elders. I could give you many other passages, but perhaps the best is found in 1 Peter 5, where he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, whom a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. Shepherd, or you could put it, pastor the flock of God which is among you serving as overseers or serving as bishops he's talking about men who are over us in the Lord Acts 20 verse 28 Paul would says to take heed unto yourself and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood it's essential that all of us in the Lord's church recognize this was God's plan. This was God's arrangement that He designed. You know, so many people today say, Well, why don't we vote on this? Why don't we do this in other ways? Maybe reflect the organization of our country and its government? No, no, no. God Himself designed the pattern for the church In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the work of equipping the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, God knew what positions needed to be fulfilled. Some of those were temporary, some of those are permanent. The apostles and prophets were temporary positions. Evangelists, pastors, and teachers are permanent. We do know that Paul left Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every city because that was God's plan. That's the way God wanted it. But how can you and I comfort or encourage and edify those who shepherd us? Those who oversee us. Well, Paul's very plain here. He says to recognize, I like the word to know better, to know them, to to know who they are, to know their personalities. If you don't know our elders, I encourage you to go up, introduce yourself, tell them a little bit about who you are, tell them a little bit about your background, learn who they are, These are men who are watching out for your souls. Second of all, he says to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Make sure that you recognize they are doing the work of the Lord and you give them the respect, the honor, and the deference that is due to them because they're doing the Lord's work. I would suggest to you to make their job easier. You know, you've heard in the past about the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We all know that there are some who are more difficult than others. Determine within yourself, I'm not going to be a troublemaker. I'm going to be one who encourages. I'm going to be one of the positive ones. I'm not going to be one who's always going to be looking for some negative thing to say. You see, when I go to Hebrews 13 verse 17 and I look at the last phrase in that verse, let them do so with joy and not with grief. Listen why. For that would be unprofitable for you. I ought to be as cooperative and as encouraging as I possibly can be. And finally, he says, be at peace. That's absence of conflict. Try your best to be a peaceful person. Now, I've got to move quickly. Let's look at this second section that begins in verse 14, goes through verse 18, because there's so much in this part of the section of this word that's so important. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, as I look at this, I see the one another passages. Some of you know the way I prepare lessons. One of my teachers years ago used to say you need to have a sermon seed bed where you're growing little seedlings. I make a list of things that I want to preach on and then try to prepare them into lessons. And one of the ones I've had sort of on the back burner and the seabed for a long time is called the one another lessons. Do you realize how many times in the Bible it talks about one another, one another, one another? Let me just point you to a couple passages which I think will be valuable in regard to this lesson. He said in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12 verse 25 that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. In other words you care about me, I care about you, we care about one another, we care about the others that are in this body. In Romans 12 verse 5 so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Oh, is it important to see myself as an individual Christian? Absolutely. That's how God's going to judge me. He's going to take His Word and He's going to compare that with my life and He's going to judge me individually. But it would be wrong for me not to see myself as a part of the collective body of Christ. Members of one another. God's divine plan was to have a congregation, a church, a gathering, a body. And you and I need to realize that we're members of one another. That's the reason why when you drop down to verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Some struggle with sin. Some struggle with difficulties. Some people are having just awful problems in their life that seem to be coming at them with waves of difficulty. Other people are finding themselves struggling with temptation coming at them almost every day. How do you and I help them? Paul gives us some information he says, warn the unruly. The other form of the word is found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, verse 11, where it's translated disorderly. The word describes a person who was in the military. It describes a person who's the commander's calling out left, right, left, right. They're saying right, left, right, left. They're out of step. It also describes a person who leaves his post. You've heard of a way without official leave, AWOL? That describes this kind of person here. A person who we would use marches to his own drum. He does what he wants to do regardless of the instructions that are given. He said, you need to warn these people. When I go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother that walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. Verse 11, For we hear that some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. I think I get the picture from chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, what's going on. There's some people who have decided that they're not going to work. They're just going to get involved in things that they have no business involved in. They're busybodies in other men's matters. They're telling things they ought not be telling. You see, they're not following the direction, the tradition, the word Paul uses here in verse 6 that they received from the apostles. So there's some people who are going to do things their way and no. You need to warn these people, encourage them get with the program, follow the plan, do what God says to do. Comfort the faint-hearted. The word faint-hearted is literally little spirited. They're just about ready to give up. Life for them has become such a burden that they're discouraged and they're ready to give in. Let me take you to a couple passages of scriptures which I think can be helpful here. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose hard. The older translation, faint not. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. You can say, well, why would a person ever be tired of doing good? I can tell you why people get tired of doing good. I've taught this Bible class for the last 30 years. Time for somebody else to do it. I, I'm just tired. Someone says, I, I have done this, I have done that and now I, I don't see any benefit. Or let me give you another perspective. Here's a person who has all their life tried to be a good person, and here's what they see. Psalm 73 gives a picture of a person that the psalmist says, my feet had almost slipped, like slippery on a rock. I'd almost stumbled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. When I see everybody else doing good, or doing They're doing well in their lives financially and other ways, but they're living an ungodly life. And here I'm trying to live a godly life and it seems like the difficulties just come at me every direction. These people need to be comforted. You need to give a word of encouragement to them. There are people in this congregation that have had waves of difficulty come at them. It seems... About the time they're ready to be able to stand up from one problem, here comes another problem. And they need to know that there's family behind them. Uphold the weak. You might think the weak and the faint-hearted are the same, but they're not. The faint-hearted are people whose views of themselves are that it's just not worth it anymore. But the weak is a person who, when it comes to being able to resist temptation and to resist sin, give in. Where you might feel, oh, I'm I'm strong. That temptation coming, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. But the temptation comes to them and they give in. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 and verse 10, he says, However, there's not in everyone that knowledge. For some, with the consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Verse 10, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols. You have to be careful because there are some people for whom their constitution, their conscience is weak. What do I need to do for those people? Who are to, I need to uphold those weak. I need to pick them up. And I need to be patient. Long-suffering with everybody. Everybody, everyone, in First Corinthians chapter 13 verse four, love suffers long. You see, I, I know that we all have our own difficulties in life, We all have our own weaknesses in life, and those of us who are Christians need to be encouraging and uplifting to those. And the way that we respond is not to get even. In fact, 1 Corinthians and the book of Romans both deal with this. Romans 12, I think, is perhaps the best. Repay to no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But now, someone says, that's a lot easier said than done. How can I step up and be that encouraging Edifying person. Paul still has some words to help us. Rejoice always. Just like in Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Open your eyes, folks. Recognize how blessed we are. Recognize that we are children of God. Be happy in that. Number two. Pray without ceasing. Lord, how do I help this brother or this sister? Lord, what can I do to be able to let... You can at least pray for them and pray for their circumstances. In the book of Luke 18, verse 1, this parable, he spoke to them that men always ought to pray and not to lose heart. In everything, give thanks. Be appreciative. Look at your own blessings. And a happy, appreciative Christian will be glad for the opportunity to help a brother or sister. Look what's been done for me. Others have provided when my time of need. Now let me be able to provide for you. Let me help you. Now let's sort of circle the wagons here. Let's see how, how we get this direction. And there's some things that need to be thought through here. Because you see, for those of us who are here today, we've got a book called the Bible. It's written. Most of us have one leather bound. You may have it in other forms as well. But we've got a book that we can refer to. But you have to remember, in the first century, that's not the way it always was. Let's look at this passage here, verses 19 through 22. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast. What is good, abstain from every form of evil. You see, in the first century, the message was provided through Spirit-inspired men. Today we have the writings of those inspired men. But in those days you heard it delivered. Peter would write in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy never came by will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So if you had a Peter, you had a Paul, you had an Apollos, or you had a Barnabas, and they were inspired, the message they delivered was from God. So what do you do with that, he says? Don't quench it. The word quench is the word used to put out a fire. Here's the word of God, and it's like a fire that burns. He said, don't quench it, don't. Don't try to nullify its effects. He says, do not despise prophecies. The message delivered by these prophets. You know, in Luke 18 verse 9, the Pharisee says, he thought himself to be righteous and despised others. He looked down on them. Don't look down on the message as if you're here above it. No, in fact, put yourself under it test all things. Not everyone who gets up and says, I'm speaking to you by the Spirit of God is actually telling you the truth. I know a lot of our brethren will call me occasionally when the History Channel puts on one of these lost books of the Bible. All, oh, you mean there's there's really books that ought to be in our Bible that are not... In? No, don't let that worry you. Just watch the History Channel and they'll talk about to you ancient aliens and you can realize... What kind of job they do with regards to history, and so don't let that unsettle you at all. First John 4 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Even in the first century, when the message was being delivered in spirit-inspired men, he said, You need to test them. And what do you do when you get to the end? You keep what is from God, you reject what is not. Prove all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from the very appearance of evil. Now let's bring it all together now. The church is pictured under many figures, but one of the most helpful to me is the church as a family. Just like in Matthew 12 verse 50, Jesus was told his brother and his mothers were outside, brothers and mother was outside looking for him and He said, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. That's my family. We are a family, and we ought to be working to encourage, to comfort, to edify one another. And when we stand together as one, it's just like Solomon in that great wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes would talk about two being better than one. One falls, somebody's going to lift him up, help him up. How can two be warm separately? But you put them together, they can be warm. You can overpower one, but you can't overpower two. And then he says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The more we stand together and are unified in the Lord and seeking one another's benefit than the blessing we enjoy. And finally, the question, are you a part of the family? In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter was asked what they ought to do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you're not a part of God's wonderful family, you can this morning by being baptized for the remission of your sins. If you are a part of God's family and you're like the prodigal son, you've gone off, come back home. We want to put our arms around you, let you know we love you. God loves you. Why not come back home? Would you come while we stand and sing?